<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Folks, we're teetering on what could be an economic meltdown, threatening to wash away our savings and retirement. Inflation has surged to levels unseen in 40 years. Gold is the smartest and most responsible investment you can make for you and your family in times like these. A safe haven asset that protects your purchasing power and your wallet from inflation. When it comes to protecting your IRA or 401k, trust only the best. My friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold has earned the highest trust ratings in the precious metals industry and builds relationships based on integrity, expertise, and impeccable service. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectwithlou.com today or give them a call at 844-6484-LOU. Don't wait. Take control of your retirement today. Call 844-6484. 84-L-O-U and speak with one of their experts. Time is of the essence. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. Visit protectwithlou.com or call 844-648-4LOU. Hello everybody, I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to The Great America Show. Thank you for being with us. The big news of the day is the vast corrupt conspiracy between the Biden regime and the deep state collaborating with private institutions to censor the free speech rights of American citizens. The Cyber Infrastructure and Security Agency, CISA, is apparently behind this vast conspiracy, most assuredly at the direction of the Biden White House. Judiciary and Weaponization Chairman Jim Jordan says the DHS Disinformation experts at universities, big tech, and others work through a consortium, the Election Integrity Partnership. Remember that name, the Election Integrity Partnership. It's exactly the opposite of what the name would imply. To monitor and to censor American speech, particularly conservative Americans' free speech, Chairman Jordan calls it the bombshell report on the censorship industrial complex. And for more about this important story, go to x.com at GOP Oversight or at Judiciary GOP. Your federal government weaponized against all of us, but especially you and me. The Israel-Hamas war is raging, of course, still in Gaza. And anti-Israel, anti-Semitic protests have broken out around the world. Especially alarming to me have been the demonstrations in the nation's capital, in big cities across the country, and of course, the anti-Semitic protests on campuses of colleges and universities in particular. It is particularly sickening. But given the Marxist influence and indoctrination of our students over the past few decades, none of us should be surprised. American academia has become a fortress, a fortress to protect Marxist thought, to protect Marxist ideology and orthodoxy from all values American, American history, our American heritage, 
and our American national values. Instead, our colleges are bastions of ignorance and hate. A recent Daily Mail poll shows Americans now, by a huge margin, believe that our top universities are not doing enough to crack down on anti-Semitism and support for Hamas terrorists. Imagine that. Our students supporting terrorism. Our guest today is Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson. He is a witness to the ugliness of hate on our campuses. Cornell is one of many universities racked by threats, protest, and unrest, anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, and pro-Palestinian and Hamas. And Professor Jacobson has spoken out loudly on campus and courageously against hate, against anti-Semitism. And Professor, I want to say welcome to The Great America Show. It's great to have you with us, and I have to say how proud I am of you and how much I respect your courage. You've written on the issue. You've been speaking out strongly about the surge of anti-Semitism on the country's universities and college campuses. I think the university, Cornell University, is very lucky to have you there speaking out and, if you will, being a conscience of the university. I commend you for that, and I don't want you blushing too much. You've watched the students at Cornell actually threaten Jewish students, protest in favor and support of anti-Semitic faculty members. And now there's been one particular student who threatened to slit the throats of his fellow Jewish students. I have to say, too, that the university's leaders were hardly quick to condemn anti-Semitism, in my opinion, and to condemn pro-Palestinian demonstrations. Your thoughts on what is happening now on too many of our college and university campuses. Well, yes, it's pretty shocking to everybody. I think kind of stepping back to October 7th, October 7th was when Hamas invaded southern Israel, butchered 1,400 people, you know, sexually mutilated them, uh, tortured them, kidnapped babies and toddlers and took them to Gaza. So that's kind of the backdrop. You would think there would be universal condemnation of that. Forget where you are on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That sort of thing is really ISIS-like. Frankly, it's Nazi-like, that sort of torture and humiliation of people. Uh, but on our campus, believe it or not, there were students who were advocating it. They weren't necessarily advocating the torture by name, but they were happy about the invasion. They felt Israel had it coming to them. And so you had this conflict developing on campus with the majority of people uh, expressing you know, horror at this and holding vigils about it. But you also had student groups on campus who were, you know, we need to liberate Israel by any means necessary. That's, that's the phrase of the day, by any means necessary from the river to the sea, which means you exterminate the Jewish people in Israel. And so that was the tension on campus. And it was just ratcheted up through the roof when one particular professor on campus, somebody who's probably the most prominent is anti-Israel professor on campus, his name's out there, Russell Rickford, so it's not like I'm disclosing something, uh, in a rally, a anti-Israel rally in, in face of all this in downtown Ithaca, attended by a lot of students, a fairly large rally, um, gave a roaring speech uh, against Israel, a roaring speech uh, celebrating the attack and the words that became infamous on TV and the internet 
were that he felt exhilarated when he heard about it. And that word exhilarated, he's now trying to explain away, well, I didn't really, wasn't exhilarated about the torture and the kidnapping. It was more the invasion. But everybody in the crowd knew what he meant, because as soon as he said that, they broke into a chant of, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That put Cornell on the map. That went everywhere. And that's the tension that continued on campus. There were uh, graffiti uh, anti-Israel graffiti spray painted around campus. But the most recent was this weekend on a chat board. Now, I don't frequent chat boards, but apparently it's a thing that students do. And uh, somebody, they didn't know who it was at the time, um, repeated a lot of that verbiage. And also, as you indicated, threatened to slit the throats of Jewish students. So it was all directed at Jewish students, threatened to take some sort of revenge on the kosher dining hall, um, and repeated a lot of that verbiage that you heard at the pro, the anti-Israel rallies and from that professor about, you know, by any means necessary, called the Jewish students who lived um, uh, at the building next to the, the dining hall, the kosher dining hall, settlers, that we need to cleanse the campus of these settlers. So it's very, very ugly. Uh, maybe the worst that's happened anywhere. I shouldn't say the worst, but clearly really bad. And it exposed an extremely dark underside of the campus culture at Cornell. It turned out that that person posting the threats was just a, was arrested and has been announced by the U.S. Attorney's Office. He's a junior at Cornell. He's a student on campus. And I think the question that we need to answer and the school does, and I'm happy to talk about it, is how does a student like that, based on his LinkedIn profile, you know, top grades in high school, basically a math genius, science genius, works for all sorts of clubs. How does somebody like that get so radicalized when they come to Cornell that they're making threats to slit the throats of Jewish students on campus? And so Cornell's got a very, very deep problem that was brought to the surface. The, the Hamas attack didn't create the problem, but it brought it to the surface. Well, it's to me stunning. Uh, this junior, can you do you know much about him? Do you know is he a, a, an international student? Is he a from, no? A, he is a, a student of Asian descent from upstate New York, Pittsford, New York. I think was what he was listed as. Um, and so, as far as I know, I've, I've asked around, nobody seemed to know him. So it's not like he was a prominent activist on campus. Uh, maybe more information will come out, but from what I am gathering, he did have mental illness problems. You know, uh -huh. a lot of people do who end up shooting up places, okay? So, but why did he turn that mental illness towards Jews? And I think it's the campus culture. That's an interesting thought, and that culture seems to be well established. I, I frankly am surprised that the president of the university, who who spoke uh, to this in response, uh, in large measure, I'm sure, because of your uh, your essay on the issue, uh, it doesn't sound to me like uh, he's been a particularly uh, active, as he says, suggested. I'm not in any way judging on this. Uh, I basically am looking at the surface of the matter. But it doesn't seem to me that the university has taken a very aggressive approach to uh, either human rights or hate uh, and bigotry. 
on the campus. It's it's a bizarre sort of uh, aspect as you look at uh, the context of where this student came from and what happened on the campus. Yeah, she she doesn't get it. The president, I don't think, gets it. I don't think the senior administration gets it. I think they uh, are putting Band-Aids on things. They don't realize that they have contributed dramatically to the problem on campus. Now, certainly I'm not accusing the administration of being anti-Semitic at all, uh, but I'm saying they have forced onto the campus, they have racialized the campus. They have forced onto the campus three years ago after George Floyd died, um, a quote unquote, anti-racism agenda, diversity, equity, and inclusion. The race is now the hyper-focus of almost everything that happens on campus. Students are forced to view themselves through a racial lens. And when you do that, you start to see, and we've seen it on Cornell even before that initiative, but worse since, students start to separate themselves by race. They start to separate themselves by ethnic identities and they form coalitions, and this is how they describe it, coalitions of students of color against Israel. So they form, they turn what is a religious dispute uh, between Jews and Muslims in Israel, a national dispute between Jews and Arabs in Israel, and they turn it into a racial issue, which it's not. So they, and that's what the president and the senior administration has done. They've taken a religious dispute and turned it into a racial dispute. And now you see people on campus talking about, you know, the white, Israelis, the white settler colonial nation. Uh, And and so that has taken things to a very, and that leaves Jewish students, almost all of whom support Israel, really in a a difficult position because they're forced to either reject part of their Jewish identity or agree with people who demonize Israel in the extreme. So the administration has worsened the problem. They probably don't even realize it. I've been speaking out against this for several years really, you know, shouting into the darkness at Cornell. I think there are a lot of people who agree with me, but they're all afraid to speak out. So many people are afraid to discuss race, bigotry, uh, the honest uh, view of what is happening in this country. And amongst those views, obviously, is what is Marxist uh, radicalism that is now visited upon nearly every campus, college and uh, university campus in this country in one form or another. Uh, some uh, negligible and others uh, overwhelming uh, in their power over the the university. We're talking with Professor William Jacobson. We're talking about anti-Semitism. We're talking about what in the world is going on on our university campuses in this country and how is it related uh, to the body politic and the confrontation between uh, two ideologies right now Uh, in this country. We'll be right back. Stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. We're talking with Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson. Uh, Professor, it's great of you to be here, and, and thanks for doing so. Uh, this is a critically important issue because it's manifesting itself, as I said. It's showing up everywhere uh, on college campuses in the country. Uh, and you brought up the issue of the safety of these these students. I can't imagine being in one of the most elite universities in this country and having to worry about physical safety uh, of students from other students. That is just mind-boggling. Uh, and the anti-Semitism that's being voiced and uh, acted upon is uh, deeply troubling, I think, to every American, uh, every American who's concerned about this country. Uh, the, it's not just about, quote-unquote, a hate crime. It's specificity and it's uh, uh, venomous uh, nature, uh, destructive nature is what gives pause, I think, to nearly everyone uh, who would certainly not expect this to happen anywhere and on any campus in this country, let alone one of our most uh, elite universities. That's true, but that, that's where we are on particularly elite schools. The faculty at most elite schools, at least in the humanities, to a lesser extent, the social sciences, is completely radicalized. They view activism as their profession, and they say that openly. They, they, so they agitate against Israel. And, you know, there's something called the International Holocaust Remembrance Association uh, working definition of anti-Semitism. Because the people on campus, oh, we're not anti-Semitic, we're not against Jews, we're just against Israel. And what that working definition says is that criticizing Israel like you would any other country is not anti-Semitic. I mean, they're entitled to be criticized just like our government is entitled to be criticized. But when you go to such extremes, when you make Israel essentially the, the universal pariah in the world, much like Jews historically were made the universal pariah, mm. uh, when you go that far to that extreme and you treat Israel differently than you would treat other countries, that is anti-Semitic. And that's what I think you're seeing playing out on college campuses is that for at least 10 years, probably more like 20 years, you have seen the gross demonization and dehumanization of Israelis. That's, you know, no, there's no two sides to things. There's no acknowledgement of the Jewish history in the land of Israel. There's no acknowledgement that the people who now identify as Palestinian actually are the descendants of the conquerors uh, of the Muslim conquest of the area. They're not indigenous to there. Um, if you the, all the archaeological digs show that Jews were there long before that, and there's been a continuous right. presence. There's none of that is discussed. Nothing is discussed. How in 1947 the UN proposed a partition of the land. The Jews accepted it. The Arabs did not. There's no discussion of how the people who now identify as Palestinian 
didn't do so really until the 1960s. And they didn't claim the West Bank and Gaza as their homeland until after 1967. You know, people don't learn this. The Palestinian National Covenant um, from 1964, before Israel captured the West Bank and Gaza, disclaimed any claim by the Palestinian people to those areas. So when the West Bank was occupied by Jordan, nobody said, make that a homeland for the Palestinians. It was only when the Jewish state captured it uh, in response to Jordan attacking. So nobody learns this. It's never taught. All they are taught at campuses like Cornell is evil white colonial Israel versus victim oppressed non-white Palestinians. And that's where this whole racial narrative feeds in. So that's how we get here, is that the faculty is radicalized, at least in the humanities, and they don't teach both sides. They don't teach balance. All they do is agitate against Israel. And you get to this place in time when that's been going on for a decade. And that radicalization, that indoctrination is coming from, frankly, uh, Marxist uh, pro-dem professors who are there for a very specific purpose. They are radicalized. They mean to fundamentally transform this country, and they're doing so. Uh, you talk about the history of Israel and, and the uh, and the region, uh, the Middle East. Uh, you're lucky to get uh, a kid a decent education in American history in this country right now, uh, at K through twelve. Uh, the all of the group and identity politics driving 1877 as the starting year for American history, that is Reconstruction, through to the present, uh, and leaving out huge swaths of foundational uh, knowledge about who we are, where we came from, our heritage and our history, our values. And then you take it to, and and the law schools themselves are, are now being swept up with Marxist ideology uh, by, by the dozens, uh, where there are strong influences now on the faculties of law schools. Am I correct? Yeah, you are. I mean, it goes under the rubric of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. which is a critical theory which seeks to deconstruct our country, seeks to demonize our country, views everything through a racial lens, that all of our systems, there is no truth. There's just, you know, systems of power that, you know, all of the protections for the individual that we have uh, protected in our Bill of Rights and protected in many other ways uh, are just ways of keeping you know, racial power, that's how they view it. And so, yeah, it's a its a very negative. Not all professors subscribe to this by any means, but it is the, the ideological fad that has overtaken academia, particularly law school academia. And there's no pushback because for 20 years, they only hire their own. For 30 years, they only hire their own. So you get to a point where, you know, uh, faculties at most universities, look nothing ideologically like America. Um, And in law schools, I think it's probably even worse that you you can't be hired unless you have proven your commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion. Very hard. I won't say it's impossible, but that's what they're looking for. They're looking for people who not only share their beliefs about these racial hierarchies and systemic racism, they're also looking for people who are activists, who have acted on it 
And, you know, up until recently, Cornell required for new hires diversity, equity and inclusion statements. Now it's voluntary, but everybody knows they still want it. And what you needed to do is right on Cornell's website, how they evaluate those DEI statements. They evaluate them based not only that you say you are committed to it, but what have you done in your career to advance DEI? And therefore, everybody knows you need to not only say the things, you also need to tailor your profession to it. So who actually ends up getting hired? It's people who think like them because there's no way you can be hired if you disagree. Very difficult. And so it's really been a corrupting factor. And, you know, uh, a lot of people think I was alarmist when for years I've been saying this, but now we're seeing it. Now we're seeing it. And I think at every level of our society, we need to think about, you know, how can we protect society from what has happened in academia? Because so many of the crazy things that are now, you know, corrupting corporations, uh, HR departments and corporations started on campus. All of this stuff, you know, people used to say, oh, those just a few crazy professors. We don't need to worry about them. Well, yeah, now you do, because they've created two generations of students who've been indoctrinated to believe this is the, the right approach. You know, I was talking uh, on this podcast with uh, Mike Gonzalez uh, from the Heritage Foundation, and I asked him a question, how in the world is it that we have seen this this mad Marxist uh, ideology subsume corporate America? I can't find an explanation for it. And Mike said, and he is a scholar and a, a, an absolute expert on all of this. He studied it for for years. He said, "I don't. I can't explain it because it is fundamentally anti-capitalist. It is fundamentally anti-profit, uh, the Marxist ideology. And yet here they are, uh, signing up, signing on, and moving out." Uh, just like uh, any one of the radicalized professors on a college campus. Yeah, I mean, the left understood something the rest of us didn't. If you want to change the society, you do do it through the education system. It is no mistake that Bill Ayers, Obama's mentor, the former mm -hmm. weather underground guy who got away with his crimes on a t legal technicality, where did, what did he make his career? Education. So they understood, take over education, get your kids to listen to them, and what you think doesn't matter. Unfortunately, that's the absolute uh, truth. We're talking with William Jacobson, who's a man speaking truth uh, at Cornell at a time when the, the institution desperately needs uh, his voice and many more like his. We'll be right back with Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson. Stay with us. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, 
propels us forward and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with uh, Cornell University uh, law professor William Jacobson. We're talking about one of the most serious, if not the most serious uh, issues right now on college campuses around the country, and that is the uh, the anti-Semitism that's being exhibited by students, by professors, the faculty, uh, and the institutions themselves, uh, perhaps not consciously, but certainly subconsciously. Uh, but we'll we'll see in time what the response is by these institutions to what is uh, a hateful environment right now in just too many of our colleges and universities. Uh, Professor, I want to turn to a couple of things that are happening uh, that uh, with lawfare in this country. Project 65, the attempts to bankrupt uh, lawyers attempting to bankrupt uh, fellow lawyers who, by the way, are different only in uh, which side they're on. Are they left or are they right? But it's become uh, a, a vicious uh, and uh, and I think probably one of the uh, most dangerous moments we've seen in this country when when law professors take sides and and literally try to kill the other lawyers uh, financially, uh, socially, uh, professionally. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, well this is uh, something another corrupting influence. I mean, one of the things I've written a lot about and spoken a lot about is the hollowing out of our institutions in this country and the politicization of those institutions. I'm so old, I remember when being a lawyer who is willing to take an unpopular cause and being a lawyer who is um, willing to take an unpopular cause and advance novel legal theories such as segregation is unconstitutional. That was a novel legal theory at the time it was advanced before Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, you take that now and you have lawyers who um, are advancing legal theories, which at least that I've seen, are not outlandish. They may be wrong, the judges may not agree with them, but you know what? For decades and decades, judges disagreed with desegregation. Uh, and, and so you, what you've done is uh, any lawyer on the right who wants to take an unpopular client is going to see his business come under attack. He's going to see now through Project 65, his bar membership under attack, his career come under attack or un her career under attack. And you can see this developing. I mean, one of the instances I remember is the law firm of King and Spaulding. So uh, there was something which most of your listeners may remember, but certainly 20 somethings don't remember called the Defensive Marriage Act. And the Defense of Marriage Act was congressional legislation that essentially said no state can be forced to recognize a, mar a same-sex marriage if that marriage was not legal in the state itself. Um, and that was controversial. Fine, it's controversial. Um, the Department of Justice, there was litigation challenging it. The Department of Justice was defending it because the Congress has no law firm no in-house law firm. So the Department of Justice traditionally defends legislation. Obama administration defended it for a year or two, and then one day announced, we are no longer going to defend it, the Department of Justice. Congress, you've got to go out, get your own lawyers. 
almost, I don't know if it's unprecedented, but almost unprecedented. Congress went out and they hired a law firm and they hired King and Spalding based in Atlanta, but a big national firm. Um, and uh, there was a very well-known conservative lawyer there. And what did people do? People started to attack the lawyers, King and Spalding. Paul Clement was the lawyer. Uh, mm. And they started to organize boycotts at law schools that King and Spalding would not be allowed to interview at the um, law, at inter law schools because of who they were representing. They organized. Let me, let me interject this. Excuse me for interrupting. But Paul Clement is recognized as, uh, if not the, I, personally, I think the uh, best known and best regarded, highest regarded uh, Supreme Court uh, attorney in the country. Do you think that's a fair statement? Yeah, I think that is fair. Uh, I'd love to meet him one day. Uh, but yeah, so what they did, they not only, so they started to boycott, they started attacking and protesting at the law firm, but then they went a step further. They started saying, okay, law firm, we're now gonna start protesting outside your other clients. So clients who had nothing to do with this representation, and Coca-Cola was and is King and Spalding's largest client. They started to protest to Coca-Cola. Uh, and King and Spalding said, you know what, we can't take the pressure anymore. We're going to drop the representation. Paul Clement left the firm and kept the representation at a new firm he set up. But that's what has happened. The, the concept that lawyers are there to advance novel claims, to represent clients. Okay, the lawyer is not the client. The lawyer is the lawyer. Right. Uh, and so that has been thrown out. That has been completely thrown out. It's that was probably 10 years ago, maybe more than 10 years ago. And now you have groups like Project 65 saying, aha, lawyer, you know, you advanced legal theories regarding the 2020 election that were rejected by the courts. Now we're going to try to get you disbarred. That is not how it used to work. And what they are doing is they are trying to instill such fear in any lawyer who would represent a Republican that. Republicans are going to have a lot of trouble even finding lawyers because you know what's going to happen. You represent a Republican on an unpopular cause, your law firm's going to be attacked. Your bar membership's going to be attacked. You represent an unpopular lawyer on the left side, you're a hero. You're an upholder of civil rights. Very, we are in very dangerous times, and people need to understand that. All of many, if not close to all of the protections that preserve our individual rights in this country are slowly but surely being ripped down by the, by the left in this country. Torn asunder. And to your point earlier, talking about uh, the anti-Semitism, which can be expressed as a hate of Israel, uh, condemnation of Israel, uh, looking upon it, treating it, uh, considering Israel, uh, differently than you would any other any other nation in like circumstances. And I don't think anybody can really appreciate, uh, I know I can't, what it is like to live, uh, to be born Israeli, to live uh, as part of a community of about six million, six to, you can argue the numbers, but six million Jews living in the midst of what are 90, 90 million Iranians uh, surrounded by uh, Palestinian uh, terrorists, uh, in point of fact, being uh, 
withdrawing in 2005 from the Gaza Strip, uh, uprooting settlers and turning over the land so that you have a, an entire population of Hamas uh, and Palestinians who hate you uh, to, uh, to the gates of hell. And I, I just can't imagine what it's like to, to know that your neighbors uh, mean, mean for you to die and for the country you live in uh, to be wiped off the face of the earth. Yeah, I mean, it, there's no positives to what Hamas did. But one thing that is eye-opening and should be eye-opening is we know exactly now what they mean when they say free Palestine. We know exactly what they mean right. when they say from the river to the sea. Hamas showed us what they mean. And what they mean is mass murder, torture, rape, mutilation. That's what Palestinian liberation now means, if anybody had any doubt. That's not to say they shouldn't have a nation someplace or they shouldn't divide the land somehow. But the concept that the Jews of Israel, and I think you're more or less right on the number, I think it's six or seven million, um, plus another million or two Arab Israelis right. who are citizens of Israel. Uh, I think that's ballpark, right? But that the notion that six to seven million Jews should live under the thumb of Hamas and similar Islamist groups run by Iran, and that somehow it's going to turn out any differently than it did in southern Israel near the Gaza border with the butchery that took place. Um, anybody who's advocating that is advocating genocide of the Jewish people in Israel. And we should be just clear about that. No more of this, oh, I'm just against Israel. I'm not against Jews. Sorry. If what you want is liberation from the river to the sea, you are pro-genocide. And we need to be honest about that. And I think honesty is uh, something that we need through. You know, I, I, I'm a product of the 60s. Uh, I'm on the college campus uh, in the midst of civil rights and the Vietnam War and the sexual revolution uh, and, and the world turned upside down. But I don't remember a time, uh, an instance in which there was hate. Uh, there was uh, absolutely concerted arguments and uh, fierce and passionate arguments uh, over all of it, but with open minds because we were, after all, still debating uh, whether it be in the you know the the mess halls or the you know the the common rooms or whatever it might be on campus. There were big big talks and big big debates, bringing in the best of people to talk to young people who really need to understand what is truth. I don't see that happening. I don't hear about it happening in universities right now, taking up these big issues with strong, knowledgeable, bright advocates for either side and really coming to terms with what uh, the reality is. By the way, I don't hear that happening with the other issues in our society that are so critically important, uh, whether it's uh, gender identification and uh, trans uh, transgender issues, uh, whether it is uh, you know what the future will look like in terms of our economy, what which way will we go, and what is the the right thing for this country to do. Uh, so I just want to salute you for for speaking out and speaking truth. And uh, speaking, speaking virtue. Thank you. Thank you for having we, me on. Thanks, everybody, for being here today. Our guest on The Great America Show, Congressman Eli Crane, author Seamus Bruner, 
Congressman Tom Tiffany, Senator Ted Cruz, and Abe Hamaday. Please be with us through the week. Please join us each and every day. Follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs. And again, thank you, everybody. God bless you, and may God bless America.